Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Picking Up Rubber. I am your host, Justin Russo, and today we have kind of a double episode for you. First, we're going to talk everything about the Hungarian Grand Prix that happened just this past Sunday. A lot to get into there, a lot of drama. There was some huge potential implications for the championship that everyone was watching for, and I'll talk about how all that went down. But also, it's the beginning of the, the silly season, as we like to call it in Formula One. The driver market, where are the drivers going for next year? It's kind of weird in Formula One, especially if you follow other sports. They negotiate their contracts for next year in the middle of this year. So create some awkward situations when you bolt for another team and you still got half the season to do this season for your current team. But it's the summer break right now in Formula One. Next race isn't till late August, late this month, I should say. And this is when the negotiations get done. So a lot to talk about there that's happened in the past 24 to 36 hours that is really just incredibly mind-blowing in terms of how everything has gone down and, and the way that it's all shaken out. We'll get definitely get into all that later in the episode, but first I want to talk about the Hungarian Grand Prix that happened on Sunday. If you watched my preview, you know that it had a lot of implications potentially for Ferrari and Red Bull in the championship. Ferrari starting second and third with Charles Leclerc and Carlos Sainz behind surprise pole sitter George Russell in P1, and the Red Bulls in 10th and 11th. Max Verstappen, technical issue with the car in Q3, didn't really put in a good lap, so he starts down in 10th. And Checo right behind him in 11th, which was surprising. Checo's was more of a, a pace issue. He just couldn't get on top of the car on Saturday. So bad start for Red Bull. Dream scenario if you're, you're sitting there Ferrari, you're starting the race thinking, all we got to do is get past George Russell. Easy one, two. We're going to collect a bunch of points and we're going to be fine. So race starts, lap one, George Russell stays ahead critically of both Ferraris going into turn one. And this is critical because we know that George Russell and the Mercedes it takes the Mercedes a little while to warm up those tires. Their tire warm-up has been much slower than other teams this year. But when those tires are up to temperature, they have incredible race pace. And we've seen that kind of rear its head the past few weeks, especially. Once they get going, that race pace is really strong. So it was critical for George to stay ahead of Leclerc going into turn one in, in, in the first lap. He does that. Meanwhile, back in 10th, Max Verstappen is able to make up a couple of places. There was a couple of little incidents, we'll say. Not not really anything major, but some tight racing that allowed Max to take advantage and kind of get ahead of a few cars. I think he was up to P7 after the first lap, even passing Checo into the chicane on lap one. So the race kind of settles in there. You know, George Russell's in the lead, the Ferrari's behind. Max and Lewis, who started P7 due to the DRS issue that he had in qualifying, they're both kind of making their way up. I think Max and Checo were getting past both the Alpines. Lewis was making his way up. They got past Norris at one point, who was kind of slotted there in fourth or fifth. Then the first round of pit stops come. Russell into the pits first, followed by the clerk. Russell stays ahead. So Russell's ahead after the pit stops. Things are still looking good, but Charles Leclerc is slowly but surely catching him, and he's really starting to show that pace that that Ferrari has. And eventually, about 10 laps into the stint, Leclerc's able to get past Russell, which was huge. So now, if you're Charles Leclerc, you're in first place. Max Verstappen is well behind you. You know, not even a real threat at this point. He's going fast for sure. Max was really making his way through and had great pace, but you have good enough pace in the Ferrari, or you should at least, to be able to maintain this race, get the right strategy, and just coast home. But that is not what happened. Second round of pit stops come, and the clerk goes on to the hard tire. And the hard tire all weekend, it was alluded to in the broadcast too, it just was not a good race tire. A lot of people started on the soft tire in the race. I believe both of the Red Bulls did as well. The Ferrari started on the medium. So for Ferrari, even though the medium is the ideal race tire, you have, to, you have to use two different compounds. You get three compounds for the weekend. You have to use two of them in the race. Ferrari started on the medium, and they kind of put themselves in an awkward situation. So 
Is it, do we go onto the soft and do a short stint and then go back onto the medium maybe? Or do we just try to go onto the hard and get to the end? And they decided to go onto the hard, try to get to the end. It just, it was an awful decision. And we saw it with a lot of the other drivers too that went onto the hards in the race. They just had no grip. It was cloudy out. The track temperature was not as hot as it normally should have been. Uh, there had been rain throughout the weekend as well. And they just could not get the tires warmed up at Ferrari. And then the second stint after the pit stops, here comes Max Verstappen, who has jumped everybody. And now he's right on the tail of Charles Leclerc. And I think Verstappen on the mediums now easily gets right past Charles Leclerc. And you're thinking, how has this happened? You know, we're about halfway into the race at this point. And already Max Verstappen has made up nine positions. And he is in first place of this race. After it looked like Leclerc and Ferrari were home free. This was their dream. And, and yet they've still found a way to mess it up. So I thought the race there, I'm like, ah, it's over. And then you get a little silver lining. Max Verstappen comes out of the uh, the penultimate corner and he spins. He just touches the throttle a little bit and he spins. You're thinking, oh, you know, maybe this race will get a little interesting now. And he spins around, doesn't lose that many positions. I think he stayed in second or third. I think third. Uh, the Ferraris got past him. He ended up kind of slotting back where the Russell-Perez battle was back there, fourth and fifth. He was able to stay ahead of both of them critically. And then he got back on his way. And within a few laps, he was already within striking distance of the Cleric because those hard tires just had nothing in them. There was no grip in them. So Max took the lead, did a little spin for fun just to show off, and then took the lead again. I mean, it's just incredible to show how strong Max is, first of all, how strong the car is, but just how slow the Cleric was on those hards and how stupid the Ferrari strategy was to put him onto those tires. I mean... Uh, everyone has, has been shaking their head this entire week and weekend trying to figure out what Ferrari were thinking and how they bottled this so badly. So then Max Verstappen takes the lead of the race. George Russell in second, Lewis Hamilton. Um, I can't remember the exact order. Hamilton signs third and fourth. You know, they're kind of in that, in that position over, over back there. And then race kind of just settles in, and, and Leclerc and Sainz just they keep dropping back. The strategy for Sainz wasn't that great either. And eventually, you have Lewis Hamilton making his way back up through the field after a late pit stop. He is flying. I mean, he is over a second a lap faster than a lot of people in front of him. He had new tires on the car. So he's moving through the pack. He ends up getting all the way up to P2, George Russell P3. And there's your podium for the Hungarian Grand Prix. Max Verstappen takes the win. George Russell and Lewis Hamilton in the Mercedes, or the other way around, I should say Hamilton and Russell, get P2 and P3. A double podium for Mercedes. Again, they have been really strong in the last few races, really showing how, how much pace they've improved and how much pace they've found uh, over, with the car since you know, they had all their porpoising issues and bouncing issues earlier in the year. And it's a P4 and a P6 for Ferrari. I mean, how does that happen? You're second and third. You're looking great. Max Verstappen starts 10th. He started 10th on a track where you can't overtake. It's so hard to overtake historically in Hungary. We saw it last year with Lewis. He was in such a faster car than Fernando Alonso. And... Even though he had that pace difference, he could not get past Fernando because if you put your car in the right spot on that track, it's not wide enough to really make moves except into turn one. So Max Verstappen claims the win. It really, it really feels like Max Verstappen has kind of put the nail in the coffin for the championship. I mean, looking at the driver standings right now, he is 80 points clear of Charles Leclerc. 80 points. I mean, Charles Leclerc was ahead about 50 40 to 50 points earlier in the year after he won the Australian Grand Prix, and now nothing from Ferrari. I mean, every single week, it's either the car or the driver 
something goes wrong and they just they can't get it right. It's incredible. And Red Bull have been there to pick up the pieces. I mean, Max Verstappen, of course, is one of, if not the fastest drivers in Formula One. He's likely to go down as one of the all-time greatest drivers. He's nearing 30 wins already, and he's almost 22, 23 years old. He's so young. He's my age, basically. I'm here talking about F1, and this dude's out here winning 30 races. 80 points clear of Leclerc. It's going to take some insanely bad luck from Max Verstappen and some really uh, Herculean effort from Charles Leclerc if he wants to get in back in this championship and win this championship. I don't see how it happens, uh, but man, uh, it's things are starting to fall apart. And looking at the constructor standings, you're looking, you see Red Bull 431 points in the constructors, Ferrari nearly 100 points behind with 334. You know, who's that? Oh, that's Mercedes, 30 points behind Ferrari, 304 points for Mercedes. Those are the only three teams in the triple digits, might I add. Alpine fourth with 99 points. And now, all of a sudden, is this a a battle for P2 with Ferrari and Mercedes after we thought it was a Ferrari-Red Bull battle this whole time? I mean, it's just incredible how badly Ferrari have thrown this in the bin, and we'll see what they can do in the second half. If they can salvage anything and and put together a good string of races, that would be nice, I think, moving into the next year. I just don't see how they win this championship, either championship. It looks like they've really just, they've thrown it away. I mean, they've really just thrown it away. I mean, you look at the, the points that Leclerc has lost, especially in the past five to six races with all the mistakes that have happened, even going back, you know, looking at Spain and Monaco earlier on. I mean, he would be well in the lead of this championship if even half of those mistakes didn't happen. So Ferrari have the car, which is the frustrating thing. They have the car for it. It's just there's way too many mistakes they've made this year, and it's sad to see. So as we go into the summer break, we're about a month away from the next race. I believe August 28th it is in Spa. Max Verstappen and Red Bull are chilling right now. They <laughs> There is not a lot they can do in the next handful of races to even – become under threat to Ferrari outside of a double DNF and a one-two for Ferrari. So not looking great if you're a Ferrari fan. If you're a Red Bull fan, double thumbs up. You're doing great. Max Verstappen's looking like he's going to win two in a row. But, yeah, just so much so much drama there uh, in Hungary. And I'm, we'll go down the list right now. We'll, we'll go down the, uh, you know, team by team here. And I just kind of want to drop some points in about each team. And, again, you know, Red Bull showing it's really a team sport. You know, we know that, but everyone loves to focus on the drivers. You know, that that's that's what we're here for is the drivers. And Red Bull showing, you know, it, it takes a real team effort to win this because Charles Leclerc can drive as fast as he wants, but if the wrong tires go on, if they pit on the wrong lap, if the car isn't there, he's not going to win any races. And we, that's essentially what we've seen the past several weeks. And the, the strategy masterclass from Red Bull to get him from 10th to 1st and the disaster class from Ferrari to drop both of their drivers off the podium, it, it, it's incredible. And goes to show that, you know, when you always hear the drivers, you know, Lewis Hamilton especially, thinking everyone back at the factory and everyone in the garage, that's true. I mean, it takes a total team effort, and Red Bull have had that. They've shown that they're capable of working under pressure. You know, maybe last year was positive for Red Bull moving forward. It gave them the experience. It gave them that that pressure cooker situation where they needed to perform every single weekend. I mean, what can get more pressurized than Abu Dhabi last year? You, you, need, you need to finish ahead of one guy, and <laughs> that's all you need. And we'll say what you want about Abu Dhabi, but they performed as a team pretty well. The car just wasn't, you know, didn't have the pace that day. 
until the end. But <laughs> and I saw Mattia Bonato, Ferrari's you know boss, if you will, the head boss of Ferrari, say you know oh nothing needs to really change over the break. You know we just gotta have to do better, or whatever. And it, you know nothing needs to change. What do you mean nothing needs to change? <laughs> you you are throwing away a championship that you should be comfortably in the lead of. Something better change. Either you need to fix the car, you need to fix the strategy, or encourage your drivers. Something needs to happen at Ferrari right now because this ain't cutting it. And you, no matter, you know, you say, oh, it's all bad luck. This ain't all bad luck. You, you have put it, especially at the beginning of the season, you had an unreliable car. Your strategy has been terrible consistently all season. And your drivers keep making mistakes. So something needs to happen. Something needs to change. And I don't know, again, I don't think it's going to be enough to win the championship. But you have got to be more consistent in these races. I mean, how many times, I think two or three times now, Charles Leclerc has been leading a race and has had to retire. Two times because of the car, I think, and one, obviously, in France due to his own mistake. That can't happen. That's 75 points down the drain that you've just lost because you can't get it together. So something definitely needs to change at Ferrari. And hopefully... That was just some trying to calm some nerves from Bonato to his team there. But, man, it, it is getting rough for them. And, and you, I mean, you go from second and third on the grid to fourth and sixth while your main championship rival wins the race. I mean, how, how do you start eight places ahead of your championship rival at a track that is notoriously difficult to overtake? And he outscores you that day. And there was no problem with the car. No problem with the driver, basically. It was it was all strategy. They put the wrong tires on. They put them on at the wrong time. Just a terrible, terrible strategy by Ferrari. Terrible day for them altogether. And again, now it looks like they're just fighting with Mercedes for P3. I mean, Mercedes is 30 points behind Ferrari, and Ferrari's got another 100 to go to catch up to, to Red Bull. And Mercedes have been on the podium, feels like, more times than Ferrari lately, especially double podiums. You know, that's two times in the past two races they have had a double podium. So... Mercedes might win a couple races here in the second half of the season and jump Ferrari to P2, which would be just an incredible sight to see because say what you want about Mercedes, unless they drastically improve that car in the next few races, Ferrari is much faster, just straight up, the car is much faster. So it goes to show how much they've screwed up outside of the raw pace that they have that they aren't able to get on the podium and win races. So, and again, mentioning Mercedes, Five straight podiums for Lewis now. It was rough going for him at the beginning of the season. All the porpoising and the bouncing, but he is starting to round into form, and I I would bet on him at least winning one race the, at some point this season. He's going to pick up the pieces somewhere where maybe Red Bull has a down weekend. They, they're going to continue to improve that car as well. He's going to win a race. He, he's won a race every year, so I, I'm, not, I'm not betting against him to win this year. So let's start, and you know, I've kind of – jumping around saying a lot but again you know for for red bull we'll start off with them they started on the softs and, and max drove a flawless outside of the one spin a flawless race a great recovery by him to get back into the position that he needed to go again ha even had the spin and still passed the clerk again which shows just how bad of a strategy that was to put the clerk on the hards and it was just too much for for really mercedes and ferrari i mean they were max was just he was clear of everybody and that's not all the car because Checo wasn't moving through the field like that. He finished P5. Max is just that dude. I mean, he's just that dude. What can you say? He is he is rapid. He is so fast. He knows in, on Saturdays and Sundays, he, he just, he's almost unbeatable. And I wrote in my notes here, it says it, he feels inevitable. Like, like Thanos, you know, I am inevitable. That's what it feels like. That's what Lewis Hamilton felt like a couple years ago and through the, the turbo hybrid era. It just felt like you're going to show up. 
unless something happens unlucky or something breaks on the car, Lewis is going to win the race and we're going to take off and go to the next track. That's starting to feel what it's like with Max Verstappen. And it shouldn't feel like that because Ferrari really have a good car that is at least level with Red Bull or, or close to it. And they just can't, they can't put it together on any given weekend. So a, an amazing weekend for Red Bull, considering where they started it out on Sunday morning. And, and a decent comeback for Checo as well. You know, he obviously didn't get onto the podium, wasn't going as fast as Max, but a nice comeback from him to get to P5, split the Ferrari, so even finished ahead of one of them, finished ahead of Carlos Sainz. And they salvaged some points, and they go into the, the summer break feeling amazing right now, and they should because they have put together a really strong season. After the first, you know, one to two races where they were having reliability issues, they have just been on a tear. I mean, they it's been no mistakes, or very few mistakes, I should say. And their their pace is there every weekend. So kudos to Red Bull, man. They are they are performing this year just like they did last year. And they straight up deserve everything that's coming their way. They have just been the best team this year, no no doubt. And should I even say anything more about Ferrari? I think I've gotten all my points across. Um you know, signs falls from P three to P six, Leclerc from P two to P four. They're a clown show. That's really what they are. They're just a clown show at this point. They they nothing they do is right. Everything they touch turns to poop, and yeah, it's awful for Ferrari. I'm not going to say much more. And then again, for Mercedes, George had some pace, you know, on that first stint especially, but you could see the Ferrari just got past him on that second stint, and he managed the race pretty well. He was in second all the way, you know, first or second, essentially, most of the race until Lewis Hamilton late caught him after the late pit stop, and, and Lewis had the new tires, so pretty good race for George. What more can you ask? I mean, obviously... He wants the win, and you know he's on pole, so he's going to re- be disappointed without the win. But a second and third is good for them. And, and you have to think for Lewis. I mean, if he doesn't have that DRS issue, he could have very well won this race. I mean, he would have probably been checked out, or you know, he would have probably been well past the clerk uh, once he got out of those hard tires. So Lewis really close to winning that too. And you know, good strategy for Mercedes. They they've been really consistent the last few weeks, and that seems to be all it takes is just some level of decency, and you're getting past Ferrari. So, moving on to McLaren, P7 for Lando. I mean, typical Lando weekend. P7, solid points, did what he could, got what he could out of the car. Ricardo was was near him for a lot of the race. Daniel Ricardo ran well, and he was right with Lando, but he too got put onto those hard tires, and he specifically went on the radio and said, do not put me on the hard tires, I don't want it. And they put him on the hard tires anyway. And Lando was on the hard as well, I should mention. Lando was sent out in, in more clear air. He had a gap, so he had time to properly warm up the tires. Daniel was sent out, and Lance Stroll was right there fighting for position. So Daniel's trying to fight and, and get some temperature in the tires. Turns out he goes right into Lance Stroll, into turn two, hits him, gets a five-second penalty. That kind of ruined his race. And, yeah, uh, it was a little difficult for Daniel, too, because at the time he pitted, could have taken softs, but it was questionable to, you know, whether they would have gotten to the end. Or I shouldn't say that. They would have gotten to the end because even he went on with his race engineer after, and they said, you know, I think Gasly was one of the drivers that took softs to the end. And he's like, yeah, you know, they got to the end. Pace wasn't there, though. But if you're Daniel, though, I I think you'd want the softs to at least fight. When you, when you get out of the pits, fight for a few laps and then and try to manage them towards the end because he had a couple guys in that range that were also on softs and you're kind of all in the same boat at that point at least. So, Rough day for Daniel again, and might get a little rougher. We'll see as we talk about the driver market that I they have coming up here. Moving on to Alpine, it was a little little scuffle with them. You know, 
Uh, Akon was coming out of the pits as Fernando Alonso and Ricardo were battling, and Akon really held up Alonso, and Ricardo actually got a double overtake on the Alpines, I believe coming out of turn three or four. I think turn four it was. And that was huge for Daniel, and he even said, you know, let's go on the radio. He was pumped up. And it was a really weird thing with Alpine. You know, they, they let Akon right back into the path, and maybe it was just a miscommunication, bad timing, but they kind of that kind of ruined their race in terms of moving up at least. And, and they too were both on the hard tires. So they kind of ran their own race. It was kind of Norris, Alonzo, Ocon, seven, eight, nine. They were just kind of running their own race out there on the hard tire. They didn't really have much pace, but they were all, you know, Alpine McLaren faster than the cars behind on, on most weekends. So they had enough to stay ahead, but definitely not enough to catch up to the top three, top four teams. So moving on, let's go to Haas. Another, just, I mean, super bad luck for Kevin Magnuson. He, I don't know if I mentioned, but on lap one, going around turn one, it was Daniel Ricciardo and then Kevin Magnuson behind him. Alonso was on the, the apex and kind of jutted out to the left side to get back out on the outside of the track, and that really just cut right in front of Ricardo. So Ricardo had to brake a little bit. K-Mag had to brake, and Verstappen, that was kind of where he took advantage and got through some guys. Unfortunately for Kevin Magnuson, that damaged a little bit of his front wing that was dangling off. And for the second time this season, I don't know if any, I, I think Yuki Sonoda is the only one I can think of in Baku that got the, the black and orange flag, but he gets the black and orange flag again. He got it in Canada that ruined his race. Now he gets it here and that ruined his race. So just tough luck for K-Mag. He's down in P16 and it didn't seem like the car had a lot of pace in it. Of course, the Haas trying to introduce some upgrades as well, but Mick Schumacher only in P14, not a real good race for him as well. So Haas, a forgettable weekend. Alfa Romeo, kind of in the same boat. You know, Guan Yu Joe, or Joe Guan Yu, I should say. <laughs> Sorry about that. Joe Guan Yu was feeling better in qualifying. Didn't make it into Q3 like his teammate Valtteri Bottas did, but he was saying, you know, the car felt a lot better. He, he said, we're back. You know, he felt a lot greater, especially given the pace they've had the past few races. Just hasn't really been that strong. And Joe and Bottas were running well. Bottas unfortunately retired towards the end of the race last few laps of the race couldn't make it so he retired joe finishes p13 felt like a better weekend from them but they need a lot more consistency you know that this they've had many retirements due to the car bottas you know i think back to imola he had a retirement there's been a lot of iffy retirements for alfa romeo so they can get more consistent and just the reliability can kind of stay there they're, they're going to be in a better spot but p13 for joe i mean a rookie, you know, he he's done, I think he's done really good this rookie season, given the the expectations that were put on him. Of course, as a as a pay driver, everyone's going to want to slander him right away. But he's done pretty good this year, and the car hasn't been that great. But he's gotten a lot out of it. He gotten into Q three, I think, a couple times. So he's been pretty good. Nothing nothing real much to say about them. The, the car's just not there at the moment, and um, you know, we'll see where they go from here. Another team struggling, AlphaTauri, Gasly. Now we found out after Max Verstappen's issue in qualifying, that they had to switch something on that Red Bull powertrain's engine. And it applied to all the Red Bull cars because it was something serious enough they wanted to switch on all of them. And so Gasly had to start from the pit lane because that incurred a penalty for him given the amount of power units he's already used. Able to get up to P12, so not bad for him given the circumstances at all. Yuki Tsunoda, another bad race, though. P19 for him. He was later in the race... He was lap traffic. Lewis Hamilton was actually trying to get through him, and he spun uh, a little bit ahead of Lewis Hamilton and right after the chicane. So that kind of ruined his race. He finished two laps down. Not great for Sonoda. They they have taken a huge step back this year, Alfatari. Sonoda 
you want to see him put in some good performances. He's made a lot of mistakes still this year, and hopefully he can put together a little nice run here towards the end of the season. But, uh, yeah, not great for Alfatari so far. Aston Martin, though, pretty good weekend for them. P10 and 11, same that they got in France. So consistency there. This time they reversed the order. Seb, if you remember in France, at least the last corner, it looked like Seb was going to get past Lance Stroll, and he kind of shut the door on him a little bit. Seb wasn't too happy. This time around, Seb's able to get past Lance. He picks up that final point scoring position. P11 for Lance. And uh, some solid weekends now for Aston Martin. After they had the upgrade, they had the little the little loop on the rear wing that's been interesting that a lot of people have been talking about as an upgrade, whether it's legal too. A lot of people not not sure. But good weekends for them. That's nice to see. They are, they're well down. Only 20 points scored this year. They're only 7 points behind Alphatari, 14 behind Haas. So a couple of good weekends for them like they're, they're having now. They can slide up into seventh or eighth, maybe sneak in one weekend, get more than one point, then they might be looking good. So things are looking up for Aston Martin, at least at the moment. Not Obviously still not great, P9 in the championship, but much better than they were earlier in the year. Still need to figure out the Saturdays, though. Seb, of course, missing Q1. Lance barely sneaking into Q2. They've been terrible on Saturdays. So if they can figure that out, get themselves better starting position, might be able to pick up some points. So moving on to the last team, Williams. <sighs> It's just not working out for them. I mean, they had all these upgrades that they were they were trying to plan and, and bring and look good for a couple of races, but it just seems like every other team is now caught back up to them. And yeah, Nicholas Latifi surprisingly had some pace. He was there was the big meme of the weekend. He was uh, P one and FP three in the rain. He was rapid for some reason. And then in, in Q one, he goes purple in sector one. You're thinking is is Latifi about to go like top ten right now? What's going on? Then he goes yellow sector two, and he makes a mistake at the last corner. So he might be the only driver to ever go purple in, sect- in a sector in a qualifying lap and still finish last. He finished 20th in qualifying. I Kudos to him. I, I don't know how he did that, but that's just Nicholas Gotifi things right there. P17 and 18 for Williams, uh, Albon 17th, and Latifi 18th. So not a strong weekend by them by any means. Kind of what we expect from Williams these days. Um, yeah, so that, that's the Hungarian Grand Prix. Of course, the next race will be in Spa, uh, the Belgian Grand Prix, August 28th. So looking forward to that one. Last year, we didn't get a race in Spa. We got we got the one-lap race, the, the huge rain delay that never turned into a race, the, the George Russell qualifying in P2. So it was a fun Saturday, but really no Sunday to back it up. So hopefully this time around, we actually get a race, a, a proper race, and uh, we'll, we'll see what happens there. And we might, I mean, we look at Spa, I might not also get a race next year. It's rumors that it might be off the calendar. So going to have to enjoy this one while it lasts, especially for a historic track. Should be on the calendar every year. But, of course, politics and money, they run Formula One. So that, that's something we unfortunately have to deal with. Um, but we'll talk about all of that when we get to Spa. Let's focus where we are now, the summer break. As I mentioned, maybe kind of a little double episode, a longer episode than I normally do. But we have to talk about Everything that just happened earlier in this week with the driver market and everything that's that's gone down in the past day or two. So, in the preview to the Hungarian GP, I also kind of made an ode to Seb, you know, a little honor, a little tribute to Seb, because he had announced that he was leaving Formula One at the end of the season. Somewhat unexpectedly, people kind of knew Seb was getting towards the end, you know, maybe his passion wasn't there, he's not at a top team anymore. He decides to leave, which now creates a hole at Aston Martin. Always fun. You know, who's going to take the seat? We, everyone 
threw out their names. Is it Nico Hulkenberg for a year? Is it Nick DeVries? Is it Daniel Ricardo? Who's going to take the seat? And in a shock to everybody, Fernando Alonso jumps teams. He leaves Alpine and goes to Aston Martin. On, on face value, you're thinking, okay, Alpine, I have it pulled up right here, P4 in the constructors on 99 points, Aston Martin P9 with 20 points. Why would Fernando Alonso jump from, at the very least, a decent midfield team, best of the rest at the moment, to Aston Martin that has no pace, mostly doesn't get out of Q1, and are just struggling mightily at the moment? I guess we'll find out from Fernando when we hear from him. I'd imagine money is an option or, you know, is a reason. Um, of course, Lance or Lance Stroll, Lawrence Stroll, his father, let's not forget about Lawrence. Lawrence has kind of come out with this huge plan of, and, and timeline of when he wants to be winning races, when he wants to be winning championships. He's put together this huge team of engineers and people from all the different teams, mostly the top teams, Red Bull and Mercedes, at least from the past few years, he's put together a lot of people from those teams, new facilities. He is, he seems to be all in all the chips are in and he wants to, to win a formula one world championship. So Fernando Alonso, you know, maybe he bought into that vision. Obviously right now it's not looking so hot there. P nine and the constructors after they were, you know, midfield team last year, you know, even got a couple podiums. So Fernando must believe in that vision. Uh, he, you know, it was alluded to that he's got a little bit of a close relationship um, or closer relationship than you know other people to the strolls so familiarity with with them there and yeah it, it kind of a shock and and you wonder fernando had not gotten an extension from alpine and you wonder if maybe they weren't treating him as well as he had liked you know because he had been talking about you know i want to stay at alpine i want to keep building what we have here but it all just it went away so i wonder what went on behind the scenes with alpine and fernando there if otmar Upmar staff now or the team principal at Alpine and, and the higher ups, if, if they were kind of not treating him so well, because remember they had Oscar Piastri who we're, <laughs> we're going to get to very shortly. Don't you worry. Oscar Piastri last two years, he's won formula three. He's won formula two. He is now the reserve driver is, was, we'll say is for now is the reserve driver of Alpine and a young talent that of course, everyone wants to get into formula one. He more than deserves to have a seat in formula one. And they're just kind of dangling him, you know. Maybe Fernando felt that kind of pressure and thinking, obviously from Fernando's perspective, he's having a great year. So he's thinking, okay, I'm, well, I'm still here. It's going to be a little while before Piastri gets a seat. But you wonder if Alpine behind the scenes were maybe thinking all along, do we want to keep Fernando? Do we want to get Piastri into a seat? Because it had been rumored that, you know, hey, they're letting Piastri talk with other teams. And the rumors had been, you know, maybe Williams or maybe McLaren. They're letting him talk with other teams, see what's out there. You know, maybe we'll get, lend him out, so to speak, for a year or, or two and try to work out a deal for him and so he can get into an F1 car for, for the foreseeable future. But, yeah, and, and Otmar Safnauer, by the move, said that he was completely blindsided, that he found out just like everybody else when the press release came out from Aston Martin saying that Fernando had joined the team. And so now if you're Alpine, you're thinking, oh, man, like, what just happened? You got blindsided. But in a way, it kind of solves a problem because now you have this young driver in Oscar Piastri. You're thinking, okay, well, that sucks. Obviously not what we wanted to happen. We wanted to work out something with Fernando. But we'll just we'll just bump Oscar up. You know, that's that's the easy decision. We don't really have to think about it too much. And that's exactly what they did. They bumped Oscar Piastri up to their top seat. They promoted him from the reserve driver. They said, 
and he put out a press release saying we are you know glad to welcome Oscar. Oscar and Esteban Ocon is going to be our driving lineup for next year. Pump for 2023. Everything good. You know, shock move by by Alonso, but but we're all we're all chilling. So then after that announcement comes out, Oscar Piastri himself puts out a statement saying, "Whoa, whoa, whoa, whoa. I have not signed with Alpine." I will not be driving for them next year. They have put out this press release without my consent. I did not agree to this. And I that that is it's all wrong what they've said. And it is interesting how strongly he denied all of those claims. All you know, the press release in its entirety essentially. Not only just saying that, hey, I haven't signed with Alpine and leaving the door open to say, you know, obviously I want to sign with Alpine, you know, but I haven't yet. He straight up said I did not sign with Alpine, and I will not be racing for them next year. So now that has thrown a wrench into Alpine's plans incredibly. That I mean, everyone, our minds are blown by this because what are you doing, Alpine? How have you lost Fernando Alonso and Oscar Piastri? I, I, if there was any sense that you were going to lose one, you should have immediately jumped at, at the opportunity to lock up the other because, and especially if you were letting Oscar Piastri talk to other teams, you should have finalized Fernando Alonso's contract before you let all that happen because now you're just you're left in the dust and you have nothing. You had your present in Fernando Alonso, your past even in Fernando Alonso. This is his third stint with Renault, I think. And now your future in Oscar Piastri, they're all gone. So past, present, and future are all gone. You have Esteban Ocon, who's a good driver, a French driver. Of course, that's not bad. But who's your second driver now? You were thinking Oscar Piastri or two-time champion Fernando Alonso, and now... You've got nothing, so it's going to be really interesting to see what Alpine do there to fill in their second driver role. And let's think about Oscar Piastri here for a second. So Oscar Piastri is represented by Mark Webber, who was a former F1 driver, raced for Red Bull alongside Sebastian Vettel, and he was winning all his championships in the early 2010s. Probably been retired for about a decade. Both are Australian, so the, the connection there as to why he's managing him. And Mark Webber must have negotiated a deal with another team for Oscar Piastri to come out and straight up just say, I will not be racing for Alpine, and I did not sign anything. For him to be that confident, there has to be a concrete deal in place somewhere. Because if you're Piastri, obviously you want to get into Formula 1, why in the hell would you deny that? You know, you just got a seat. You got a free seat in Formula 1. Why would you deny that? Deny that unless there was a concrete agreement in place? And I, I think, and a lot of people think that is why he did that and there has to be some kind of agreement in place and we are all eagerly awaiting the news to see what that agreement is but it is just an absolute mess i mean it, there is so much to figure out and especially you know what are alpine doing again wh who's this agreement with and i'll talk about that in just a second but it, it is just incredible so another kind of wrinkle in this is piastri's alpine deal reportedly could have ended on july 31st and all this took place in the last couple of days after after the calendar turned to august so if that's true and his contract with alpine ended on the 31st and they just kind of threw this statement out that is wild behavior because if you're alpine you know that's not technically your driver you knew that it ended but from alpine's point of view i believe that post is still up so they're clearly they they have their opinion they've they they confident in their themselves as well that no we have Oscar Piastri down and he's going to race for us so 
there is so much, so much to get into, and, and there's so much to be hashed out during this summer break. It's going to be incredible to watch. And I wanted to mention as well, many of you may not watch IndyCar, but in IndyCar, there was a very similar situation that happened just last month, just, I mean, a few weeks ago. And it's incredible that, like, I mean, this is, like, a really rare situation. Like, how many times in any sport have you heard a team say, oh, yeah, we signed a guy, and the guy comes and says, no, I haven't signed with, with you. You know, I mean, that's just incredible. That's like LeBron James going to the Lakers, or the Lakers saying, yeah, we signed LeBron James, and LeBron saying, no, I, I, I signed with, you know, I signed with the Spurs. You know, what are you saying? I didn't sign with you. There's just this whole disagreement right now, and it's going to be so interesting to see. But anyway, going back to IndyCar, there was a very similar situation that happened between Alex Pillow, recent IndyCar champion, Chip Ganassi Racing, one of the teams in IndyCar, and another team in IndyCar, McLaren, who you all know. So we have two teams and one driver. Sound familiar? I guess we'll find out the second team for Piastri, but same situation. So Chip Ganassi Racing puts out a statement saying, we have signed Alex Pillow. We are super excited to bring him back. You know, he's got championship pedigree. There, I mean, there's quotes from Alex, quotes from everyone in this, in this press release. And you're thinking, oh, you know, good. Chip Ganassi, they retain their guy. That's awesome. Then... It comes out, Alex Pillow, similar to Oscar Piastri, saying, no, no, I, I have not signed with Chip Ganassi Racing. Actually, I just signed with McLaren. Funny, funny you mention, I'm, I'm a McLaren driver. And so now there's a whole dispute in IndyCar with both of these teams still, I mean, still a dispute, them being like, well, who is Alex Pillow racing for? He says he's racing for McLaren. Chip Ganassi says he's racing for them. What's going on there? So a, a carbon copy of a situation. And... Another reason why a lot of people, myself included, believe that this Oscar Piastri deal that he's signed, his backdoor deal, has to be with McLaren. I mean, that seems like like it seems to be the most probable solution or the most probable you know outcome. McLaren have already done this once, where they've snagged a driver from another team and just kind of claimed him, even though the team that they were racing for before still says they're racing for him. So Zach Brown's got experience in this. Of course, Zach Brown, the head of McLaren Racing, he's he's you know he oversees F1, he oversees IndyCar, he oversees all the racing operations. So if Zach Brown's doing both of this, then he's got experience in it. He's got experience in just taking drivers away from teams. And another kind of wrinkle came out too because there's a program in Formula One where, in an effort to get young drivers experience in Formula One cars, you know, a lot of the, the young drivers in Formula Two or Formula Three or what have you. In an effort to get them experience in the cars, the teams throughout the season must use two of the... I put up the one there for a second. Nope, two. They must use two FP1 practice sessions throughout the year and take the driver, their current driver out of the car and put the young driver in. So they do it twice. They do it once for each car that they have. And it's just an effort to get young drivers into cars. You know, funnily enough, Oscar Piastri did it earlier this year. With Alpine, we've seen Nick DeVries do it with Mercedes. You know, it, you know it's, it's been happening throughout the year in FP1 just to kind of get some young drivers some run. And why this kind of ties back into Piastri is because one of the teams that was rumored to have signed him was Williams. So you're thinking, okay, well, Williams signed him, then maybe they're going to want to get him into the car. So Williams has already used one of their FP1 sessions this year. And their second one they've yet to use, but they just recently announced that they're going to use it on Logan Sargent, who is an American driver. Shout out Logan Sargent. We love him here. In Formula 2 right now. 
And they're going to give him the FP1 run at COTA, Circuit of the Americas, in Austin, Texas, when they come there. So it'll be awesome. Get the hometown run for Logan Sargent. That's great. But if they assigned Piastri, you think they would have wanted to put him in that seat. So I think that eliminates Williams. And I've seen, you know, a lot of people mention this. Tomo F1, if you watch him, great channel. Go subscribe to him on F1 or on YouTube for, for a lot of good F1 content. But he was mentioning it. I was watching his live stream, him saying, you know, that makes that makes sense. You know, they would put Piastri in the car for FP1. They haven't done that. So looking through, you know, I mean, just looking down the grid, Red Bull aren't changing, you don't think, anytime soon. Ferrari are set, unless Lewis Hamilton retires unexpectedly. Mercedes are set, and you just go down the list, and you're thinking, okay, pretty much everyone's set. And funnily enough, McLaren, one of those teams too. You'd think McLaren is set. There was a ton of rumors around Daniel Ricciardo. Is he going to leave the sport? Are they going to cut ties with him? He just came out with a statement a couple weeks ago saying, look, it's been tough this season, and, you know, the last couple for Daniel, but I'm committed to McLaren. I want to be here through the end of 2023. I embrace the challenge that this, you know, the car brings to me. You know, obviously it's not been smooth sailing, but I want to be here. I want to, I want to race for McLaren. So even with that, there are some clauses on both sides for McLaren and Ricardo's point where they could get out of it. And with the rumors becoming so strong with Piastri and let's face it, there's a lot of other drivers that Zach Brown has added to the stable of McLaren drivers, maybe putting some pressure on Daniel Ricardo, Alex Pelot being one of them that I just mentioned, but Colton Herta, who's long been rumored to maybe get an F1 seat as the next American driver in Formula One, and Pato Award, who's one of the best IndyCar drivers out there as well, along with Colton and, and Alex. You know, they're all three are IndyCar drivers. But he's added all of those drivers to his stable, and there's been rumors, is he going to put Pato or Colton or Alex, is he going to put one of them in the F1 seat? And Ricardo's had to withstand all these rumors and all this stuff thrown at him, and he's saying, nope, I got a contract, I'm set, I'm chilling. But if McLaren wanted to act, if they felt strongly enough that they needed to act and get Oscar Piastri, there could be a kind of game of cat and mouse right now where McLaren kind of just waiting, hoping that maybe Daniel sees all this going on and just wants out of his contract because he's done with his BS. Or Daniel just saying, hey, you gave me the contract. I'm staying here. I don't care who you sign. And if you want to get me out of here, you're going to have to buy me out or, or pay you know pay a bunch of money to me. So it kind of seems like that's where it is right now. Of course, this is all speculation, but this is kind of where the community is at at a point. All of us conspiracy theory nerds thinking that it's maybe at McLaren right now just to kind of wait and see game. Who's going to budge first? Is it going to be Ricardo who says, screw it, I'm out? Or will Zach Brown finally just bite the bullet and say, okay, I'll pay you. I Obviously, I want another driver in that second seat. I'm going to bring Piastri in. And it's going to get probably pretty nasty in court. I'd imagine it's going to go there. There's got to be some legal battles to settle all of this in both IndyCar and in this F1 situation. And, and yeah, and I just, you know, also read uh, Nate Saunders, ESPN F1. You know, he put out a story today saying, you know, talking about the whole Ricardo situation and kind of alluding to the points I brought up. It's kind of where I was getting some of this information from as well. And, you know, he was even saying, you know, it's kind of the, the Ricardo has become the scapegoat for McLaren when they really haven't given him the car or even Lando Norris the car to consistently compete in the front. They had some good races at the second half of last year, but this year the car has not been really good for either of them. I mean, Lando has put in a couple of good performances to get really higher than he should have been. But on average, they are much lower than they have been in the past couple of years. So, and they're going to lose 
potentially Daniel Ricardo, who's and look, I'm a Daniel Ricardo fan. I I admit my bias, but I'm also an American F1 fan, and I see the influence that he has through Drive to Survive on, on the American audience. I'm probably a, a great example of that. You know, he is so marketable. He's you know commercially, he's such an important driver to have to just bring in. You know, whether it's sponsors or TV interest or, you know, social media interest or, or merchandise sales, you know, he's a huge marketability or, or marketable driver. So they would lose a lot there. And obviously Piastri, maybe, maybe he comes in and does better than Ricardo, but he's going to be a rookie in a car that's in the middle of the grid. And he's probably, you know, Piastri's a good kid, but he's not probably going to be immediately at least as well liked as Daniel Ricardo is. He's going to have to work his way up. So it's an interesting spot for McLaren right now. They potentially lose a lot in Ricardo. But if Zach Brown feels strongly enough that he wants a specific driver in his team, we saw an IndyCar, he went and got him, and we're seeing an F1 now, he might have just went and got Oscar Piastri. So, <laughs> deep breaths. We'll get through it. But it's just an insane week, and there is surely a lot, a lot more to be settled. There's still that open Aston Martin seat we haven't even got into now there's an open alpine or not an open Aston martin seat fernando alonso's filled it who am i kidding there's an open alpine seat that we still have yet to fill potentially an open mclaren seat i mean who knows what's going on here i mean there's so much to be settled the summer break is usually a time for rest and relaxation but it seems like it's going to be a crazy whirlwind of a news cycle until we get back to spa and uh who knows what the grid is going to look like for next year by the time we get back to there the media are going to be all over the drivers at that point. We want to hear from Fernando. We want to hear from Daniel and, and Piastri. So much to be decided. So thanks for joining me on this one. A little long-winded. A lot to talk about. A lot to get through. There was just so much going on. It was just kind of funny how, I mean, the race ended. Kind of had a day to rest. And then, boom, there goes Oscar Piastri and Alpine with and, and Alonso leaving. You know, there was just so much that happened in that one-day period. It, it was just incredible to watch. So, Thanks again for listening in. As always, check out the social media links below. One day I'll get really good at pointing down here. But uh, check out the social media. Follow me on Twitter, probably most active there. Come have a chat with me about F1. And uh, I'll see you next time. Just trying to put out some good content here in the summer break. Don't know what the schedule is going to be like, but uh, you'll see me soon enough. So thanks for watching again, and uh, I'll see you next time.